Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Sheen Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Travis Crotty. And I'm Father Shane Demon. And it's good to be with all of you listeners. And Father Shane, always good to be with you via yeah. via technology that is working a little bit better today. Very smoothly. I think we're back in our normal rhythm, right? We were kind of a um, little off schedule, kind of hit and miss without throughout the summer months while yeah. we were trying to do a recording. But I think we're getting back into our groove now that we're in the fall. We are getting back in that groove that you email me like two days before Wednesday and it's like, we must record right now. Or we won't have an episode. <laughs> but that's our groove. That's our groove. It shows that we're, we're out there doing ministry, you know? We're not just sitting that's around right. twiddling our thumbs doing nothing. That's right. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good. We, we kind of like jam-packed, I think, a few episodes at one time, and then we, we have it. So that's good. I had a, mm-hmm. one, of our, one of our healing students kind of stopped me in the hall. He said, Father, I really appreciate your podcast with Father Shane. I said, oh, wonderful. Do you listen? And then he just looked at me and said, um, yeah, one, yeah, one, one time. I listened one time. <laughs> so. All right. One episode. Congratulations. But if You're this is club. your second episode, uh, welcome back. But yet yeah, all of our listeners, thanks so much. We're glad that we can offer some support uh, if you're feeling outcast or just some support in your growth in the faith. Father Shane, you had some kind of interesting little thing you want to share. Yeah. Did you happen to see, um, did you happen to see the recent headline, uh, the recent as when we're recording this? that a fourth shrine for persecuted Christians was just dedicated recently in Stockholm, Sweden. Did you see this? I didn't, and I wasn't aware of the other three shrines to persecuted Christians, so I'm No, it's, it's kind of interested. fascinating. Um, you know, for any... I mean, talk about people who feel outcast, those who are Christian minorities um, in various parts of the world where Christianity is, is either persecuted outright or uh, maybe just has a soft persecution because they're such a strong minority... Um, but the Cardinal Archbishop of Stockholm, Sweden, just dedicated uh, a new shrine dedicated to Our Lady, Mother and Helper of Persecuted Christians. Uh, the first one was actually at St. Michael's Church in New York City, dedicated uh, with a particular shrine designation a few years ago, but also another one in London and another one in Massachusetts. And now this is the fourth one. And there's there's quite a diaspora. There's, there's a... Um, a large migrant population of Syrian Christians, Middle Eastern Christians, who have made their way to Scandinavia uh, looking for greater religious freedom. Um, and these four shrines that have, are, and I think this trend is going to continue to grow, is just calling to the fact that there are so many persecuted Christians around the world. It just kind of caught my eye, and I don't know if we would have any listeners who come from places where they really feel out, uh, outwardly and outrightly persecuted um, but if there are, you know, I, I would encourage all of our listeners just to pray for them, uh, to encourage them by God's grace in their witness of faith and their witness of hope and charity, even towards their persecutors. Uh, but to also remember that there are so many around the world that I think experience maybe a soft persecution, you know, um, Christian families whose maybe businesses aren't supported really readily in a neighborhood. Maybe they have a hard time getting building permits or business permits from a local civic government. There can be other forms of, of soft pressure that many Christians around the world face. So it's just something that caught my eye and uh, just wanted to encourage all of our listeners to, to intercede and to lift up all of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. 
That's a helpful invitation, Father Shane. I, I'm always shaken, like awake a little bit more when I realize that Christians are still being persecuted. We celebrate these feast days of martyrs, and we talk mm-hmm. about the former persecution of the church. And sometimes we're grateful that that it's not happening, right? Or then I think sometimes we do the other thing in the U.S. where we, we maybe lean in too hard and act like we're being persecuted. Um, maybe when we are in a soft way, but it, maybe when we're not. And then you look at like those eight Coptic Christians who are beheaded on a beach and you're like, oh, oh yeah, that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's intense. Yeah. I hope that everybody has that thought. Cause I remember as a little kid, it's always that question of like, would you die for Christ? Like, mm-hmm. would you actually, you know, and that's always a struggle that some people have, but I hope that kind of wakes us up a little bit that we're not just, that this matters. <laughs> right. Either Christ rose from the dead or he didn't. And either we're following right. him or we're not. No, that's so good. Um, yeah, maybe if I ever get a chance to go to Stockholm, we'll visit that fourth shrine to the... <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll plan a trip soon. Maybe that's where the next uh, quest trip will be, you know? Sorry, yeah, guys, right. we did Rome a few years ago, but now we're going to we're gonna go to Stockholm and see Cardinal uh, Anders there or, uh-huh. or whatever. Oh, that's great. Well, Shane, I have a number of friends um, preparing to get married soon, which is mm. exciting. Um, a number of close friends brothers my my brother which is exciting um you know i jumped into the parish ministry parish ministry the parish ministry i jumped into parish ministry and marriage prep as we talked about you know a couple years ago with father taylor marriage prep is a big part of pastoral ministry in a parish right we're working with married couples i jumped in i was celebrating a lot of weddings but i actually haven't had a lot of friends close friends get married in my life just because a lot of my friends um a lot of the guys that i became close with in seminary did you know, um, continue to persevere toward priesthood. Um, mm-hmm. So I've, I've had a few different um, weddings, but then especially since I was in seminary, uh, a number of those friends like to remind me that I missed their wedding. Um, and that happens the when you're one, seminary. the one that I yeah. missed, uh, I happened to be in Guatemala in the middle of a six week Spanish immersion. And he still, um, you know, holds it over my head that I didn't can't um, let that go. Huh? He can't let it go. And I was impressed. I won't call this guy out. He made as a joke said, well, then you won't baptize my first child. And I thought that was kind of intense and as a joke and it was, ha, 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 you missed my wedding. So, well, when the baptism happened about a year ago, he, in fact, did not let me baptize. And one of our other friends who is now a priest who was there. So, you know, sometimes grudges <laughs> they stay strong. But it's been interesting right now, a number of friends who either discerned out of seminary and, you know, have, have been living their life and getting more established and are, are, are dating and now engaged. But a lot of people are preparing for marriage in and around kind of my sphere Mm-hmm. And as that's happened, a lot of conversations have come up about kind of their hopes for what married life will look like. And when young people have those hopes, it's always a combination of, you know, I want to do what was modeled in these ways uh, by my own family members or different families that I know, or, you know, the via negativa, I want to see something different, right? And a lot mm-hmm. of what people get to is they really want to see a life of prayer in their homes, in their domestic churches, you know, someday, hopefully when they have children. Or those young couples that I know who have children are asking that same question, even as the kids are really small. How do we even now start to cultivate uh, a culture of prayer, kind of a liturgical experience of actually following the liturgical seasons? What does that look like? There's a lot of fun ministries that offer different things like that. And it's been fun to kind of talk about those things, these different ideals that younger couples have of what this would look like, you know. Or as vocation director, as former vocation director for you and as vice director of a seminary, I think there's young couples who have the hope that you know they could form their children in such a way that they would be open to discern a vocation to the priesthood or a vocation to religious life. And as we talk about that, it's exciting. And I think in the future, I want to talk more about what is a life of prayer look like in the home, 
right? And as mm-hmm. you have friends and family members who've been doing that, who've been raising their kids for a, a while and to see what that's like, that'll be wonderful to talk about. But I think the first thing we would like to, I'd like to talk about, and a friend recommended it, is what does prayer actually look like for married couples individually? But then I think the big question and the most uncomfortable thing that nobody likes to talk about is what does prayer look like between the married couples themselves, praying together mm-hmm. with your spouse, right? And I find, topic. It, I find it so interesting and so fascinating that, you know, a married couple shares so intimately in so many ways, right? They share a home in a beautiful way through the gift of marriage. They share their bodies with one another. They share their finances with one another. They share their hopes, their dreams. They share most of the day, you know, of their free time with one another. They share vacation with one another. But so often there's such a fear surrounding prayer um, with each other. And I think for a lot of people, it seems that prayer is something that's personal, we go to mass together as a family. We pray before meals as a family. But if, if, you're, if you're doing anything else, whoa, <laughs> like you better just do that on your own, you know? So I know a number of people who've been married for a number of years and they pray. They might pray, you know, by themselves. They have s- separate devotions. But I find it's difficult for a lot of couples to even step into the question of what would it look like to pray together? Mm-hmm. Um, any thoughts on that right away? Just to have you experience the same thing. Yeah, I think it's um, something that people just don't necessarily know how to do. Um, When I've worked with couples in marriage prep, there are those who have experienced seeing their parents pray together. And and I think that could take a number of forms, but the the most most people have not, you know, witnessed that. It isn't always something particularly cultural here in our Midwest context. Um, Lots of families will, will have devotions together, a devotion to the Sacred Heart, Divine Mercy Chaplet, you know, family rosary together. Um, but I don't know that, uh, a lot of people would say, I saw my pra- parents pray together, maybe an individual experience, but maybe not together. And, and I've always enjoyed talking through the various ways that that could be done with married couples, um, uh, especially engaged couples in marriage prep. Uh, one of the first things that comes to mind, well, two things. I remember, uh, I remember a young couple once telling me they were sitting on a shoreline of a lake in Minnesota in the summer. Um, you know, Minnesota nights, they're cool, they're peaceful. Loon calls, everywhere. you know, just, that's right. Just, <laughs> you, you get the picture, right? Oh, yeah. You get the Minnesota picture. Oh, yeah. um, they were sitting alongside the, uh, the uh, shoreline of this lake, um, pine trees everywhere, a loon calling in the distance, you know, just a really gorgeous pink sunset setting behind the pine trees. And they were just sitting there enjoying one another's company, and they were praying out loud, um, you know, kind of taking turns. Um, you know, Lord, bless my wife in these ways. You nurture her in these ways. I thank you in these ways for all the gifts and the graces that you bestowed upon her and what she is for me, and then vice versa. The wife was praying for her husband and the intentions that she had for him, and really asking the Lord to bless him in his masculine holiness and to draw out in him um, all the providing and the protection that she wanted from God through him for the sake of their marriage and their family. Um, another thing that comes to mind is um, one of my professors in college, uh, he belonged to a nearby parish at the University of St. Thomas up in the Twin Cities, and he was at Nativity Parish. And I remember going to a daily Mass. There was an evening daily Mass, and after everyone had left the church, 
he and his wife just sat there holding hands in the pew side by side. And I could just tell they were uh, just talking through their day. But I think they were also inviting the Lord into that. I mean, I obviously wasn't part of the conversation, but just looking at them from a distance, from what I could tell, it looked as if they were praying together, but also maybe just inviting the Lord that they had just received together in Holy Communion into the aspects of their day and probably even into the aspects of their evening as they went home to their children. Uh, Those two things just immediately come to mind as kind of trademark memories for me of people who I think have done this well. Uh, And again, that could be done devotionally, but these were two couples that I think were praying from their heart with and for their spouse in an out loud manner. Yeah, thanks for that, Father Shane. I think praying out loud, that's great. I think maybe these three things that you just said, um, you know, we aren't married, and while we came from families with married, you know, spouses or parents, um, our analogy is always going to be from our experiences in formation in seminary and as you're living that now. But I think it's helpful to see that, right? It's like, how, how is Christianity lived and how can it be lived and complemented in these different states of life? So I'm thinking back to a, a priest shared this. Uh, I'll give him a shout out. Father Andy Hammock, he's a vocation director in uh, Salina, Kansas. Mm-hmm. He said when he was in Catholic high school, one of the biggest moments for him when he kind of like was having more of kind of a, a personal conviction in his faith. I don't know if a big conversion, you know, but like a personal conviction was he finally started singing at his high school masses, right? Ooh, and you and I know this ooh, from being a high school, school chaplain. Exactly, right? Exactly. He said the, the lamest thing you could possibly do as a high school boy, right? And it's still true today all these years later. The lamest thing you could ever do. You could be the most faithful guy. You could be sitting next to all these other faithful men, right? The lamest thing you could do is actually sing, at a mass, right? Because that's for the yeah. choir, that's for the ladies, whatever. And he said, yeah. when he first started to have this conviction, and he was probably a junior, he said he he like he, he had this day where he picked up the hymnal, flipped it open, he said, "Today, you know, is the day he sings." And all the guys I'm are looking at, for it. and all the guys are looking at him like, "Dude, you're a loser! Like, what are you what are you doing? <laughs> that's social suicide, man! What are you doing?" And he uh, so, but he said, "I don't care," and he kept singing. And he he talked about it as he shared his vocation story. That helped as he got to college and he had more of like a kind of a boldness in his faith. But, you know, that praying out loud together, that is very important. And I think that happens, you know, I experienced that in seminary. We show up and you're praying at mass together every day. You're praying liturgy of the hours together. And it's uncomfortable when you don't exactly, you don't exactly know how it goes, right? I remember one uh, freshman morning mass before we went out to the nursing homes. And this just happened recently with a small group mass that I had you've been used to all of the older ladies in the parish carrying you for your entire life, right? Like with the creed and the responses at mass, you know, the responses, but they're the first voice that kind of comes in and chimes in. And it was just us freshmen in college seminary and the priest, you know, the Lord be with you. And there's just this weird hesitancy, like nobody wanted to be the first one to say anything. Right. And mm-hmm. I think what that just reveals is like, yeah, praying out loud or praying with some conviction, singing right for boys in high school, but in general in the parish, there's a certain vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. You are putting yourself out there, and that word vulnerable, that's always, you know, parsed out. You're making yourself um, able to be wounded, right? You could be made fun of for having a bad voice. You could be made fun of for, you know, missing a word or something like that, but you're putting yourself out there. So what an easy way to start kind of learning vulnerability in prayer, right? And that's how it started for us in seminary. That's how it started for Father Hammocky when he was in high school. I think it can start that way. Okay, praying out loud with others, and thankfully, we have a liturgical tradition in our church that you don't just have to make it up, right? You can actually pray out loud, and there's ways of doing that, you know? So I think we've talked about Liturgy of the Hours before. Um, 
night prayer, something very small when we've been on retreats with different people that here's the prayer of the church, a simple reading of the Psalms that you can do with somebody else out loud. You know, there's an Our Father involved in morning prayer and evening prayer. These, these little things of praying out loud or the rosary, praying out loud with one another or the Divine Mercy Chaplet, something. It doesn't have to be made up, right? It can just start as simply as praying out loud with one another in a, in a small move of vulnerability, right? That we're going to mm-hmm. actually say these, these prayers with these different intentions on our heart. But then I think a big one, and you were just saying this, and it probably is the most uncomfortable thing is spontaneous prayer out mm-hmm. loud with another person. And I even remember that in seminary, right? Um, there was always this, you know, that's for, that is for charismatic Protestants. You know, Catholics, we recite prayers. We, you know, sit, stand, and kneel. We have this ritual way of praying. We do not say, you know, spontaneous prayers or even sharing spontaneously, spontaneously about our faith is a struggle, right? But I remember that Father Jim Mason, as our rector at Kenrick, he would often say, Jesus had no problem spontaneously praying out loud to the Father and sharing about his relationship with God publicly. And that wasn't mm-hmm. breaking some kind of, you know, um, he wasn't breaking internal forum, as we say in seminary. He said, right. Jesus had no problem speaking about and praying out loud, speaking about mm-hmm. his relationship with God and, and praying out loud. That was such a big game changer for me. When I was in college seminary, men who'd had a little bit more experience in different groups in high school or guys who had regularly been to Steubenville conferences, they went to youth groups, they had a comfortability with praying with and for one another. And in my friend group, that started to happen, and it was very uncomfortable, and I didn't know what I was doing, and I felt like I was just kind of making it up as we were going along, right? And But it started to change something in me of realizing that, wow, when I actually do make myself vulnerable, I'm able to be made fun of, I'm able to be hurt, I was actually received, and I you know, experienced God in a new way that I hadn't before. So, you know, engaged couples, married, married couples, spontaneously praying with one another or for one another, I think can start so easily with just praying for different intentions, right? Mm-hmm. For your own family members, for your own children, for the people in your life, for your coworkers, the different people who are struggling with health, with, with physical health, mental health, all these different issues, people who have left the church, people who are struggling with doubts in the faith, all of those things can be offered, Right? So it could just be a simple prayer of the sign of the cross. We, we kind of name, we speak out loud our intentions. Like, Father, I want to pray for this. Jesus, please bless these people in my life. And then you can, you know, pray, pray a Hail Mary, pray a rosary, something like that. But that, mm-hmm. that type of spontaneous prayer, it's very uncomfortable at first. But that can actually be such a beautiful place to recognize that God actually meets me in my vulnerability. And then prayer becomes a safe place for me to be vulnerable. It's not a place where I am you know, wounded or taken advantage of. It's a place where I'm protected and it's a, it's a beautiful place to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also good to call in mind when we're talking about spontaneous prayer that when couples are doing this, presumably they're both baptized. And, and there has to be an act of faith and trust in the graces of the Holy Spirit that I received in baptism and confirmation that God will actually speak through me. Mm. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, we live in sacramental grace, sanctifying grace, so it's not like we're just groping in the dark trying to find vocabulary that will lead us to God, right? Uh, does, you know, John's gospel, for example, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him, right, says Jesus. I mean, God's, God's grace is act- actively drawing us into the life of the Trinity. And so for when, when we consistently open ourselves up to that and we're praying in the grace of God, uh, the insights, the ideas, the images, uh, the vocabulary— 
over time and with practice, when we're just cooperating with God, this will start to sound like deeper and deeper prayer. Mm. You know, how many times people who are really accompanying others in prayer will say, wow, I don't know where that idea just came from. It just, it just flowed so naturally. And someone will say, you just prayed about something that I absolutely needed to hear right now. Yes. You know, and we need to trust that. And married couples can do this for one another. It's not just priests and religious who actually can be, you know, good at praying, right? Mm-hmm. Listeners, uh, the hang grace around. Of God can just keep flowing in this way. Listeners, hang around for just like two more minutes, okay? I know we just we just passed that twenty minute treadmill mark, but just two. I just want to mention two more things, Father Shane. That's really helpful that you mentioned that kind of capacity that Christians have to buoy each other up in the Christian life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, Archbishop Nauman in Kansas City, Kansas, at an ordination, referenced confession as the personal proclamation of the gospel. And I think that's why we love confession so much. It's this opportunity where we're able to personally proclaim the gospel to somebody as a spiritual father, right? And then in preaching that we delight in so much is this ability to proclaim the gospel, to preach the good news of Jesus to our parishioners, right? How beautiful it is that in married life, both spouses can proclaim the gospel, right? Can preach the gospel through their words, through their actions, of course, but one to another. Like a married couple is a mirror of Christ's love for the church in the world, but then they get to be a mirror for one another. You know, everybody always talks about, like, my job is to get my spouse to heaven. And that can sound kind of moralistic if it's not taken into account that the Holy Spirit is working through me all the time, right? Mm-hmm. I don't just have to make sure that my spouse gets to Mass on Sundays, right? Mm-hmm. I have to be open to how the Holy Spirit wants to work through me. The last thing I wanted to say so, if we're having these moments of praying out loud together as a couple, if there are these moments of spontaneous prayer with one another, you mentioned it, that moment after mass that you saw between your professor um, and his spouse and his wife is silent prayer together, right? And more and more parishes having adoration chapels or more and more parishes offering holy hours of exposition. That is this beautiful space of silent prayer together, right? Mm -hmm. And if I think those are just three things. There's lots of ways to pray. There's lots of ways to pray as a family. Couples who are out there who have a beautiful life of prayer, you could correct us and say, yeah, yeah, you guys know what you're talking about. This is how we pray as a married couple. But I think those three things right away, just having the courage to pray out loud with one another and just kind of breaking that, you know, maybe the seal of like, we've never prayed out loud together. Okay, can start really simply. Um, Mm -hmm. Actually offering spontaneous prayer for one another, for the people in your life who need it. And then having regular moments where you're kind of resting in silence together, whether that's after mass, you know, I've seen that culture develop more and more kind of come back where people, they kind of just stay and rest in a moment of prayer when mass is ended, instead of just kind of rushing out or starting to talk in the pews, you know, mm-hmm. we're told to go out. Of course, we're told the mass is ended to go in peace, but um, it can be a moment of recollection, right? So I think praying out loud together, praying spontaneously together, offering intentions, and then having consistent moments of silence, all of those can be ways that you can establish in your relationship an experience of praying together so that you can actually form your children, your family, the people in your lives surrounding that. That's beautiful. Good insights. I mean, couples have uh, deep and intimate conversations all the time, and they can certainly do that with one another in prayer. So have hope. That's right. Thanks, Father Shane. Uh, God bless everybody preparing for marriage, those who are coming up soon, and know that we'll be praying for all of you. Come back soon. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.